0: Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000. With your hosts, Evan.
1: It's been a while since anybody but me took a hold of my plot. And Carissa.
0: Remember that sex we were planning to have ever again? Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love
1: it. Hey guys. Hey, everybody. This is Evan, and I'm Carissa,
0: and we are the Lucky Ten Thousand, the podcast that gets you luckier than waking up the next morning between Marina Bacherin and Nathan Fillion. <sighs> <laughs> Anyway, we'll justify that comment in a second. But first, we want to thank Stitcher and Podbean for having us and being our servers. Also, the Tangent Bound Podcast Network for adding us to their awesome list of shows. As always, we are also on the BeardedPodsNetwork.com featuring not only us, but Teddy and the Baseman and the Bearded Ones Comedy Podcast featuring myself and Jason Underwood. And as always... We want to encourage you, if you listen to us through Bearded Pods Network or Stitcher, Podbean, or any of that, to choose another podcast from the Tangent Bound Network and listen to them because, hey, podcasts are getting more popular and the best thing to do is support the the medium. Absolutely. So today, the reason that I started with that racy opening is because we are going to talk about Firefly.
1: Evan is the last person on the planet to have actually watched Firefly.
0: The last the last geek on the planet to watch Firefly. Because unfortunately, there are probably still tons of people in the regular world who don't know what the fuck Firefly is. So the last person that should know about Firefly and should have already watched it is me. Yes. And I did. Good. And it was awesome.
1: Of course it was.
0: So we're going to get into some minutia. It's just going to be sort of fan gushing. But we... Both have a story about how we came to it. If you don't know what it is, just keep listening. You'll learn. Carissa, how did you come into discovering Firefly?
1: It was so freaking long ago. I don't even remember.
0: Was it? You don't think it was one of those things just word of mouth? Like somebody found it and went, oh, my God, you got to watch this.
1: I'm sure that it was because it was on DVD when I saw it. Yeah, I did not see it in its initial run because I wasn't watching television. So I didn't know that it was on. Until after it wasn't on anymore. Right. And so when it came out on DVD, somebody I knew was like, hey, Firefly's on DVD. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And right. He was like, oh, well, you got to watch it. And then I did.
0: Yeah, I guess my story is similar. And, you know, I have discovered something about myself recently. I'm the worst person to recommend something to because I am that guy that will then kind of resist. Like if you start a sentence with this is y- your show. Like, you will love this show. I'm automatically like, great, I'll check it out. And in the back of my mind going, I'm going to purposefully not check this out.
1: Okay, then, Evan, don't, whatever you do, see Deadpool.
0: Don't. (laughs) Just
1: don't see it. You will hate every moment.
0: Yeah, okay. Let's correct something here. I was gonna see Deadpool regardless.
1: No, but don't. Okay.
0: No, you're right. I won't. I shouldn't.
1: It is in no way the most perfect movie ever made. It's not (laughs) at all better than Star Wars The Force Awakens.
0: I cried at Force Awakens. Am I going to cry at Deadpool?
1: Um, you might. <laughs>
0: Common connecting factor there, Marina Baccarin.
1: Indeed. So yeah, I
0: knew about Firefly for a very long time. Of course you did. And I have to start watching something when I am specifically in the mood to do it. Telling me I'm going to like it just doesn't help. So I knew it was out there. I knew a lot of people loved it. And here's what I did that's slightly unusual. Uh, if you don't know at this point, Firefly was uh, an unfortunately very short-lived series by Joss Whedon before, I think, Buffy. And certainly before the Avengers and all that stuff. And we love Joss Whedon because he is a geek at heart and he's a smart man and he's a clever man. And he wanted to do something different. You know, they talk about Star Trek, how Gene Roddenberry kind of wanted it to be wagon train to the stars and a science fiction western. Well, Joss Whedon fucking perfected that.
1: Also, no, it wasn't before Buffy. It was right at the tail end of Buffy's run.
0: Oh, was it? Oh, Okay, That even makes its cancellation that much more tragic. You'd think he would be able to. Get a little bit more out of them. Anyway, it was only on for like 12 episodes... I think maybe 14, because I think he added some on the DVDs. I don't know. It was not for very long, and it unfortunately got canceled. Despite vehement fan response to the fact that it was getting canceled, they did do the show a favor by allowing them to make a movie to, I guess, sort of wrap some things up. And this is where I come in, because I, the movie's named Serenity, and I watched it first.
1: Which is a mistake. It
0: is a mistake in a way, because I think the movie is good enough to get what's going on as a standalone movie and enjoy it. But anything that is based on already long standing chemistry a character, a humor that had already been established, you're missing something. Like, just take just take away just the bare threads of, of a plot where it's like, you know, you know what's going on. You know, that movie was a love letter to the fans who loved the show. And since I hadn't encountered really the show, I enjoyed the movie. It did not stick with me.
1: Well, no, it wouldn't.
0: So I did go back and watch, and this was years ago, I did go back and watch like the first two episodes. And I remember going, okay,
1: I get it, I like
0: it. And then I just never came back to it. <laughs> And about a month, month and a half ago, I decided, you know, fuck it. I need to finish Firefly. So I started over. And by, I think, you know, in any show has difficulty finding its feet at first. And if you go through the episodes chronologically, like a lot of shows... I mean, Joss Whedon obviously knew what he wanted to do. I think it really hit the ground running three or, f- three or four episodes in to where the chemistry had sort of been solidified. The characters were more solid. The arc of the show was present now. You kind of got what was going on with people and got the jokes. And, and then the show for me just kind of took off from there. And I've always been a fan of Nathan Fillion. Well, yeah. But for me, it was just like he was somebody that I knew was sort of worshipped in geek culture but what i knew him from before i started watching firefly was slither which if you haven't seen it it's awesome movie and he's great in it and he just always hit me as that guy who struck that perfect balance between tough man's man but also sharp-witted funny and sensitive yeah he's awesome He's got a great vulnerability, but it's not just him. They've got a great cast of characters on the show that really pull you in. So that's how I came to Firefly. And, you know, I also, part of my resistance was knowing that I would probably get to the end of it and be really sad because there just isn't enough of it. So that's another reason I waited so long because I was like, I know how I get when I really like something. I get obsessive and I want as much as I can get about it. And there's plenty of research you can do, there's plenty of videos you can watch. The actors still go to cons and things like that. But, I knew I'd get to that last episode and go, motherfucker. And that's exactly what happened.
1: Well, yeah, you and the hundred thousands of other people who've been like that for a decade now. Yeah. And we've been like that for a decade now.
0: I know. I'm not trying to take anything away from the rest of you.
1: I just love that you're like, I, was, I got to the end and now I really want more. It's been like three weeks. But I knew that was going to happen. Everybody else was like, oh, let me play the world's smallest violin for you.
0: Yeah, but that was also one of the reasons I resisted watching for so long. because I knew that was going to happen. That was my point of bringing that up. Let's just go through real quick now that we've established how we came into the show. How, how many times do you think you've seen the series at this point?
1: Oh, a bunch. 20?
0: Right. The whole series 20 times. Each episode 20 times, you think? The
1: whole series. The whole 15 episodes? Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. And how many times have you seen the movie? Twice. Oh, really?
1: It's not that good. I like the movie. The movie's not very good. It's the season finale that wraps up a bunch of loose ends, but not all of them. And then basically it was like, hey, I know that we left a bunch of things hanging because Fox is a bag of dicks, but here's kind of the conclusion that we were going for, and we're going to try and make it at least have an ending.
0: Well, well, we'll, get, we'll get more in depth about the movie later on. Let's, I guess, keep with the show then. Who's your favorite character? Is it Mal? I mean, is that just kind of a, a given or is it someone else? Oh no! Let me guess. Your favorite character is Wash.
1: I don't think I could actually pick a favorite character. That is a hard thing to do. I think if I if I had a gun to my head and absolutely had to just say which the my favorite one was, the two I would have to think about the hardest would probably be Wash and Kaylee. But oh. You gun to my head probably Kaylee, honestly.
0: Oh, yeah, I like Kaylee. I mean, she's just an incredibly... She really... Po- and here's the thing. Well, let's go through just for people that are Firefly virgins at all. There's Malcolm Reynolds, played by Nathan Fillion. There's Zoe Washburn, played by Gina Torres. There's Hoban Washburn, played by Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk. Anara Sarah, played by Marina Baccarin. Jane Cobb, played by Adam Baldwin. Not the Adam Baldwin you're thinking. Kaylee Frye played by Jewel State, Simon Tam, played by Sean Mayer, and River Tam, played by Summer Glau. So this is one of the reasons the show is special. I think getting a true ensemble feel from a show where every character has truly their own personality and they still all manage to mesh together instead of just a series of quirks is, I think, a very difficult thing to do. And I only assume it's difficult because we've seen it so many times not work at all.
1: I have a question for you. Yeah. What Adam Baldwin would one be thinking of if one is thinking of the Adam Baldwin that is not Adam Baldwin?
0: Isn't Adam Baldwin one of the other Baldwin brothers?
1: No, I don't think the Baldwin brothers include an Adam.
0: Well, I'll just say it this way. He's not a Baldwin brother.
1: He is not a Baldwin brother. You're correct. But go ahead. You were saying.
0: Either way. I was just saying that I think that part of the magic of the show is the chemistry between the, for, for the cast. And I think that's a very hard thing to fake. Obviously, we've seen it where, where casts n- might not have gotten along off the set. But it's a weird thing in a stage show or a movie or a TV show when you just have this this magical connection with everybody in front of the camera or on the stage. And sometimes, for some for whatever reason, it doesn't continue to happen off stage. This was apparently one of those beautiful times when it did. They all generally liked each other. And they managed to write the characters as unique but three-dimensional. The show became less and less about space adventure and more about how are these characters moving through their lives and interacting with each other. They did do the whole unrequited, not unrequited, but the whole uh, sexual tension angle that so many shows have, and it gets so tired and old after a while. But it works in Firefly. It's almost like Nathan Fillion is I, You almost can kind of look at it like, you know, the Han Solo adventures in a way. Uh, because he reminds me a lot of that. Okay. I did. He's a, he's, a, he's a good guy, but he's still kind of a scoundrel. You know, he definitely has an appeal, but an appeal in the sort of bad boy type way. I mean, one of the things I love about Malcolm Reynolds is that he is the thief with the heart of gold. But he will also fucking kill you without a second thought.
1: Yes. And I
0: I think there's a great appeal in that. And that's a hard line to toe to make that likable. And Nathan Nathan Fillion just does a fantastic job doing that.
1: I agree. I think that he pulled Mal off better than anyone else possibly could have.
0: Right. But I do think there are a lot of parallels between Mal and Han Solo. He just reminds me of him a lot. Then we get to Zoe, who's just, everyone wants a friend like Zoe. Like, she's absolutely tough and strong, and she'll be there with you, and she'll back you up. She'll tell you if she really thinks you're going, if she she has an issue with something that you're doing, she'll definitely let you know. I love people that are bluntly honest.
1: Is that why we get along?
0: Probably. Probably. I mean, there is just a refreshing thing in knowing you have a friend that you go to and go, hey, was what I just did kind of dumb? And they're like, yeah, it was pretty fucked up. And you're like, okay, thanks. Because you want to know. You want to know those things. And Zoe's like, I would kill to have Zoe as a best friend.
1: She's great. I really, I love Zoe as a character, honestly. I think she's she's great. one of the most, in a cast full of very three-dimensional, incredibly deep, well-written and well-performed characters, I think she is the most well-rounded. Yeah. Not as a a person, but as a character. Right. And I find her incredibly compelling. And I identify with her in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, and credit Gina Torres, too, because Zoe's not a flashy character. Mal gets a lot of the great witty lines. You know, Wash is kind of the comic relief in an already very funny show. They all have this thing. Well, most of them have this thing where they are kind of these defined, flashy characters. But Zoe is that strong, unmovable sense And as for an actor, that's not a lot to play with. That's not a lot to to show and be the center of attention.
1: No, she's a great straight man.
0: Oh, absolutely she is. And no show would be complete without it, but credit her for pulling that off and finding the depth in that character and making that character as likable as she is. Not that she was poorly written, but she's just one of those characters that doesn't get to shine the way some of the other characters do.
1: In terms of archetypally? Yes. Yeah, I totally agree.
0: And she found the way to make that appealing. Because I think a lesser actor would have been very one note with that character.
1: Well, and what I really liked about the writing for all of the characters, but it shines, you're right, most especially with Zoe, is that very little of what we get about them is an informed attribute. Right. We aren't told that Zoe is kind of a badass. We aren't told that Zoe is very smart and strong and she's incredibly strong-willed and very much her own person. We're not told any of that. No, not at all. No one ever says that about her until much later. Right. And... That's not something that we need to be told. The only reason we're told that later is because they're talking not to her or to us, but to each other about her. That's great because I don't want to be informed about what your character is. I want you to show me who your character is. Right. And she just is that from minute one.
0: Right. Yeah, it's great. And they do that with all these characters. You know, it is an annoyance in writing TV movies, whatever, where, you know, one of the characters has to turn to the other character and go, boy, that person's a real blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you're just kind of like, why don't you just have the character demonstrate that to me?
1: The thing that really kind of upset me about, not upset me, but that struck me about the writing, specifically because it had to be informed, was Simon and River. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can't go through their entire backstory except as an, inform, like, an informing attribute. Right. So when he stands up in front of the whole crew in the kitchen and tells their story, that's all informed. We have to right. take his work for that. We have to accept that that's truth and it is also very difficult to show that someone is a super genius right in a television it's just hard to do that in a television show because those delineations between smart and successful and accomplished and super genius are very subtle
0: Well, especially with the way her character sort of unfolded, like she wasn't doing that stuff from the get go. Like you had to see that stuff gradually and you saw more and more of what she could do and what she was capable of as the show went on. But for the first few episodes, she was basically catatonic. And in order to have an interest in what's going on, obviously, there's still some mystery there. But also, you kind of got to be told what the fuck is going on.
1: We had to be told why we cared. Right. Like, why do we care about this? completely psychotic mostly catatonic yes crazy bitch well because she has all of these other attributes that actually are desirable right but we don't get to see those until the end
0: right yet another reason is so frustrating that the show is canceled then we move on to wash whom everyone loves played by alan tudyk who is i think a great reversal of a stereotypical male-female relationship because he's married to zoe and she is so the alpha and it's not even in a look at how strong she is for a woman kind of way it's just no one even comments about it they just know wash is not a guy you necessarily want to have backing you in a fight but zoe totally is and you see that play out in their relationship too and it's not again in a in a two-dimensional way it's not a sitcom you just see that he sort of she's on top i don't know how that even works but she's on top that's what we know
1: you'd You don't know how that works?
0: But you know what I mean. When I think of a top, I think of something else. But yes, she's definitely the control and the center of the relationship. And the cool thing about it is that's not made fun of. It's not looked at as strange. It just is what their relationship is. Like, he's kind of a... He needs her to take care of him. And nobody bats an eye about that.
1: Is that really what you took away from their relationship?
0: Moments of it, yeah. I definitely think that she is she definitely played a more traditional alpha role in their relationship. And I thought it was cool that that was never even commented on because there's nothing wrong with that. Tell me where I'm
1: wrong. Well, the difficulty here is that you're not exactly wrong. I think you're just missing some things.
0: Well, there are definitely other things in their relationship that make it really sweet. I mean, they're equals in a lot of ways, but I just felt like I love the dynamics of their relationship in that as far as TV is concerned, it was untraditional and it wasn't made a big deal that it was untraditional.
1: I think it is, for me at least, this is not in any way an attempt to invalidate your perception of that or opinion about it, but for me at least, it was less, oh, she's clearly, she's the one that wears the pants and nobody thinks that's weird. This is... More, they have a relatively, from my experience, healthy, communicative, symbiotic relationship where Mm -hmm. each brings their strengths and the other lifts them up from their weaknesses in a way that, you know, actual healthy relationships work. Sure. And Wash just isn't a soldier.
0: No, not at all. That's not
1: a strength that he has, whereas Zoe clearly is and does. That's something that they both bring to the relationship. But within the confines of their interplay, they are equal to each other because one's love for the other is The only thing that actually matters in the end.
0: Right. I mean, the balance of power certainly shifts. I'm just talking about if you look back at the history of television, even movies to a certain extent, most relationships don't play that way.
1: That's true. I mean, there are a lot of things that are very different because they're more realistic in Firefly than in most television or movies. Right. And that's one of the things that makes it one of the best shows that was ever made. But what is more striking to me is not that no one thinks it's odd. It's that what you saw isn't wrong. She is the strong alpha of the two of them, not in the relationship, but of the two of them. Right. And he's not. He's the beta he follows along of the two of them. But that doesn't play out in the very sitcom way of, oh, I'm a helpless, weak, stupid man. I can't do anything without my woman who can do everything. Right. Because that's just as much bullshit, boring crap as, oh, the woman can't make any decisions because she has to cook dinner or whatever. Right. That's my point. I totally agree. I think that it was a much more realistic depiction of a healthy relationship, completely outside of whatever their characters individually do or represent not in that relationship. From within, it was very healthy and really well communicated and crafted. Yes. Without invalidating them as individuals. I thought it was very well done.
0: And again, without beating you over the head with anything. Yeah. So uh, then we move on to Inara, played by the lovely Marina Baccarin. A very positive I think image of the sex worker trade. That's all I can think to say in a fully fleshed three dimensional character where, you know, Mal gives her some shit about it, but that's less about being a sex worker and more about the fact that he hates the fact that she's sleeping with other men because he's in love with her and can't bear to say it. But, you know, she, again, is a great, I think a great female three dimensional strong character that you care about. She's definitely has her femininity but isn't ashamed of it and she is one of the characters that's sort of the heart and soul of the crew but again not in a cartoony i'm a girl type way you know
1: yeah are you describing zoe and anara as three-dimensional sorts of characters because that's not the way that television usually exhibits their female characters oh, or because absolutely. that's how it struck you
0: no because that's not usually what television does historically speaking anyway you know okay. the reason we lift up a show like this is because all the people in it are believable right and unfortunately that's unusual
1: that's true um, the sex positive the largely sex positive attitudes within the series of firefly are quite unusual
0: yes and then we get to the character that probably started off as possibly the most two-dimensional, but like with the rest of the show, as the show goes on, you get more and more dimensions to it. It's Jane... Who is definitely the closest to being almost purposefully two dimensional because he's just the tough, dumb guy.
1: I think that's the key because we do know people who aren't three dimensional people. Oh, that's yes. That is realistic in itself. There are people who are just flat, boring people right. who just kind of are walking stereotypes. Yes. So the fact that you would have some of those people is perfectly understandable. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And he's just hes just so much fun.
1: It's not so much as the show progresses, we see more of it. It's that he actually does grow as a person. Right. His character does. And that's an important distinction, I think. Not that he was always three-dimensional, we just didn't get to see it. Right. I mean, there was a little bit of that that we get hints of, but mostly he actually does just grow as a person and go from two-dimensional to three-dimensional. Absolutely. Which is harder to pull off.
0: Yeah, it's true because it would be he would I think as an actor it would be easy to fall into the traps of, well, I'm just the big tough dumb guy instead of allowing people to see a change cuz even in those short run of the show, he's slightly different at the end than he was at the beginning.
1: Yeah, he completely he hasn't completely changed, but he completely yeah. grows. Yes. You can see that growth, but he remains the same person deep down. Yes. And that that is very hard both to write and to act. And it's it was really well done. And I don't think Adam Baldwin gets enough credit for that, honestly. I mean, everybody likes Jane. He's a fun character, but yeah. I I don't know that there is enough attention paid to how much he actually does incorporate that is evidence of personal growth
0: right well you know good acting i think is always kind of like a magician's trick you're not supposed to see it when it's really really good yeah and therefore a lot of people who are excellent at portraying a character don't get credit because you never think of it as acting it's just there and you just sort of accept it true now we go on to who have you you have said is your favorite character in the show is kaylee
1: kaylee
0: who you know she's adorable and again At the beginning, you kind of think, oh, I get this person. I know exactly who this person is. She's that beam of sunshine constantly. And at first, I was worried she would annoy me because of that. The beautiful thing about the writing of the show is they know just how far to push certain aspects of these characters to where they don't become cartoony, they don't become stereotypical, they don't become just a quirk for the sake of having a quirk. They add depth and... She never got to the point where she was so cheery or happy with everything that I was like, oh,
1: God, it's Kaylee again. You know what I mean? Yeah, that never annoyed me. She was so genuine about it. It couldn't possibly bother me.
0: No, it never annoyed me. I was worried that it might, and it yeah. never did because they wrote it correctly and again gave her dimensions to. The closest character, I would say, that maybe got slightly grating and a little on the boring side for me, and I'm sure a lot of people echo this, is the Dr. Simon.
1: Yes, he's very static.
0: He is... I'm sure with some necessity, because his objective is pretty clear. Protect my sister at all costs. Yep. So he's a good guy. So you like him because he will do anything to protect his sister. But at the same time, it kind of makes him a little bit of a boring character. He didn't get to have the wit that somebody like Mal does or the toughness that Zoe and Jane have. He was just kind of there. It's like my my point to this is to keep my sister alive.
1: Well, of any of the characters in the cast that could that, that this could be said about, it's most accurate about Simon. He is our proxy right. for the story. right So he can't be too dynamic and he can't have too much personality or your average viewer couldn't relate to him. right So give him some kind of high level tropey stuff like decent guy. I mean, make him a, a full character. He's incredibly intelligent, which of course, yes. very few viewers are going to be that smart. right He's really privileged. Very few of your viewers are going to be that rich but he doesn't have a wealth of experience in this world that we as the viewers are being thrown into so when things are explained they're explained to him right because he's the only one that doesn't know so he's our proxy that's why we get explanations is because he has to get an explanation
0: right but unfortunately that makes it a tough job for him
1: yes absolutely and there were definitely moments where you could see that
0: (laughs) yeah 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 but then we get to his sister River who is a pretty fascinating character mainly because I mean she and her brother are the catalyst for the series. So there's so much mystery surrounding her. I mean through the whole first episode you don't know what the deal is. At first you think that he's just some sort of scumbag who's who's transferring a sex slave or something, I don't know. But then you start to see that, like we said before, that there's more to her than meets the eye obviously. I think she did a great job of portraying a character who, at least for the first few episodes, barely ever said a word. And actors love showy things. Actors love, like, crazy parts. And the ability to do things and kind of go overboard with them a little bit but it's such dangerous territory
1: yeah because because it can come off so easily as histrionic or or melodramatic
0: yeah and she had a great especially for someone with the amount of experience she had when she started the show she played that line i think pretty for the most part pretty perfectly and in the moments where she would just have this magical clarity and understand completely what was going on and do exactly the right thing at exactly the right moment and then go back to the unbalance of the character i thought she did a fantastic job
1: yeah i think that summer Glau did a great job playing that character river is by far my least favorite character
0: oh you see i would i would honestly probably say the doctor is my least favorite character
1: i just think that river as a character is too much a foil right and that bugs me because i don't like foils Mm. kind of as a rule and she is the foil for basically the whole show right which negates a lot of her characterness Right. So as well as she does portraying that character, the character itself is just kind of slightly off the page.
0: Yeah, I can see that. But to me, the fascination with her was all the stuff that we just still didn't know about her and how, you know, how far her abilities go, how far do her attributes go? What can she do? What can she not do? She was the mystery of the show that, you know, you, you got the rest of the characters for the most part. And obviously you wanted to learn more about them. But at the same time, like, she was such a blank slate. She was such a, I don't know what this person is. I don't know where they fit in. I don't know what levels they're going to hit with her. And, you know, by the time the first season was over, one of my favorite episodes in the whole season was the last episode. And she was a big part of that for me. Because all of a sudden, she seemed to try and kind of get this power over controlling all the stuff that she'd been spending the entire season trying to get a handle on. And that was really nice to see you could see her sort of fitting into the crew in the way she hadn't before, which is another tragic reason that the show was canceled.
1: And by the last episode, you mean objects in space? Yes. Okay.
0: The bounty hunter episode. Yes. Yeah. And then lastly, we get to uh, the Shepherd Daryl Book, who was a great sort of calming presence. He had a lot, the actor himself, Ron Glass, had a lot of gravitas. You know, he was kind of, again, the another sort of softer aspect of the crew, another kind of heart along with... Kaylee and Inara. He was a nice guide, I think, for Mal at certain at certain aspects. Even though I am not religious in any way, shape, or form. I liked the fact that he was there. Because it's not necessarily just about faith, it's about needing someone in your life who has some wisdom to actually stop you and go, You're kind of fucking up a little bit.
1: Every protagonist needs a shaman.
0: Yes. And he was great at that. And he also had an air of mystery about him. There are several references through the season of how he is not truly a shepherd, maybe not what he says he is. And had the show continued, we would have found those things out. Now, you and I discussed before the show that there is a comic book series that it was t- that it has taken over, to kind of taken the mantle. That was one of my biggest complaints, other than just the show being over, is that it's... V- hinted at that he is not a shepherd that he's not what he says he is and apparently the comic's do give you his backstory yep but if you didn't know that the comics existed if you just were basing it on the on the the continuity of the show that's one of those things that i think an average viewer would be like well fuck man what the hell and then the movie comes along and you think they're gonna answer it in the movie and they don't
1: no and instead he is fucking dead at the beginning is he dead at the beginning he gets killed
0: during the movie
1: yes at the beginning well i mean like
0: i was a little bit farther than that
1: half an hour in or whatever yeah it's
0: not that long he's not there for that long like you are surprised to not see him in the crew in the movie. And then all of a sudden they find him, and you just like. That was one kind of thing that I think was a little bit of a false stroke in the movie is that all of a sudden he and Mal are like really pals in the movie, where there was always this kind of tension in the show that they never quite resolved. They definitely got closer as the show continued. But then all of a sudden Mal's like, I've always trusted you, man. And he's just kind of like, No, you didn't. But yeah, he did. He gives him a lot of shit, especially at the beginning, because Mal is so anti anything having to do with faith it seems like every time the shepherd speaks up he's like yeah go fuck yourself
1: yeah but he always tr- well not always because in the first episode he doesn't trust anybody but once they stuck around he did trust him he didn't believe him but he trusted him right and that's a very key difference
0: yeah but i just that that was one of the small false strokes in the movie though that they're they one scene together when he was de- imparting some wisdom upon Mal. They kind of had this kinship that I never felt like was completely earned through the series that they just needed to move the plot forward in the movie and to have a use for that character to be back. And it just kind of struck me as a little false. But that's a minor thing. So yeah, so those are all the characters that we love. Now, who do you remember some of the incidental characters that you really wished you would have seen more of? Badger. Badger was cool. I did like Badger.
1: Dude, Mark Shepard is my favorite favorite he is my absolute favorite secondary character actor he
0: he is one of those guys isn't he
1: he is one of those like i know that guy he is fucking brilliant i am always on his team except in firefly right badger is the only character of his that i haven't wanted to win like right. i never want any of his characters to lose but Badger's the only one i haven't wanted to win that he's ever played that i've ever seen even when he's and he usually is kind of the antagonist right in whatever show it is he's usually the kind of secondary antagonist yes and i want him to win every time because he's <laughs> fucking amazing i love A. Shepard. he is so incredible and he played that part so very well
0: yeah yeah i agree i really liked him I found myself undeniably fascinated with Jubal Early. I thought he was fantastic. The character was fantastic. The casting was fantastic. The fact that he was this, I mean, I guess you could call him psychotic, just this really threatening, dangerous character. But then he had this underlying sense of humor about him that wasn't forced. He made me laugh so many times in that episode while also scaring me a little.
1: A little? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you were paying enough attention. Early is terrifying.
0: (laughs) He's a scary character, but also, like, I love it when a scary character can make you laugh as well.
1: But that makes them more terrifying. Right. Because humor is kind of the domain of humanity. And we like to be comfortable thinking that evil people are not human. Right. That there is something inherently inhuman about evil. Right. So when someone evil is also humorous... It's very discomforting because that means they're also human.
0: Well, and there's also like a level of lowering your guard when you find something humorous and there's just such a great ability to... You know, every good villain is somebody that you you like despite yourself, you know, that you really, like, you're kind of like, ah, oh, I know this guy would probably fuck me over, but he'd probably be cool to hang out with for a little while, you know? And they have to have that double appeal, I think, to really be effective.
1: I disagree entirely on that statement.
0: <laughs> I'd, uh, I don't. Most of the villains that I really like because they're villainous there's also an aspect of their character that i am attracted to and i think he fits that bill perfectly
1: i don't like anything about early everything about him is terrifying it's creepy (laughs) it's disturbing it's upsetting he is an upsetting character
0: for me he was the best of both worlds as far as villainy is concerned he was scary he was intimidating and i there were moments in the show where i genuinely liked him as well which is to me a very effective way of portraying a villain. Well, and like you said earlier, it is just humanity. They are three-dimensional. But at the same time, there was just something so charismatic about him and you know you always kind of like somebody that can make you laugh and he made me laugh and i kind of liked him but at the same time i wanted to see him lose because i really was worried he was going to hurt someone that's the other thing in series television especially when it's not a series like we have now where lead characters are killed off every other week you know there's a safety in the villains that they encounter because you're always sure they're gonna be fine it's great when you encounter one Where you spend the whole time going, I don't know if they're going to get out of this. Yeah. I don't know where this is going. And he was, I think, the best villain, the biggest threat that they
1: faced. Yes. And he was on a personal level. Yes. Like, Reavers are dangerous and they could have completely fucked him up several times over. Absolutely. And the alliance is dangerous to them because they're criminals. Right. And they could have fucked them over several times. But individually, very personally, very much where they live, Early was by far the most dangerous.
0: Absolutely. Well, and there was always a safety with those villains. Like, you knew they were going to try, but they probably wouldn't win the day. With Early, somehow they magically managed to do that thing where you were just like, I think they might lose this one. So, yeah, I was captivated by his character. I thought it was awesome. So what are some of your favorite moments? favorite lines from the show I know I've got mine I know there are a ton it is (laughs) it is an exceptionally well written show as far as the fact that you know it's Joss Whedon and Joss Whedon just knows how to be funny in the context of character and situation because Nathan Fillion got so many great lines in that show but it was never that sort of snarky You know, the problem with a lot of action movies in the 80s, for example, was that they would always have the one liners. It became expected. And a lot of times it seemed completely contrary to what was going on on screen. It's like, would you really have that perfectly crafted, flashy one liner in real life in this situation? And I think the beauty of Firefly was that they were always they always felt right and appropriate to what was going on. And it wasn't always a snarky comeback either. It wasn't a, this is a line I'm going to use to illustrate how I just killed you. It was genuinely out of the situation, genuinely funny. And based on the characters, genuinely funny.
1: Right. I Coming up with a favorite quote, I would end up just like quoting you half a Firefly.
0: I know. I know
1: it's seriously so hard. Let's see a couple off the top of my head and I will almost certainly not remember what would probably be the best one. Sure. Because these are just off the top of my head. Some of my favorites were when Mal kind of was giving Jane shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those are always fun.
1: some of them were just really great. Like at one point he says, Jane, your mouth is talking. You might want to look to that. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, my days of not taking you seriously are certainly coming to a middle. <laughs> yeah. That actually might be one of my favorites.
0: It's a pretty good one.
1: But that whole speech about Vera that Jane gives him is actually really pretty good.
0: The gun? Yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting thing about Jane, too that we didn't talk about earlier is there were times he was genuinely threatening as well yes in that scene in particular i was a little bit afraid of him
1: yeah he was a little unhinged
0: yeah and he did do some really bad shit like genuinely bad shit he wasn't just a scoundrel with a heart of gold he was a scoundrel who was genuinely decided i think made a conscious decision at some point that he had to change some of his ways and not just for selfish reasons either but in those moments you're just like oh this guy's a fucker
1: yeah he's he's pretty much a fucker
0: but yeah i mean i think i told you when we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago after i finished the show i mean yes it is hard to pick a favorite i love when you see the humanity coming in a moment of weakness with a character that breaks a cliche and there's that beautiful moment in the episode where mal and wash are getting tortured they've saved wash they've left mal he has had the shit kicked out of him. He's died at one point and then was brought back so they could continue to torture him. And he doesn't know, well, he assumes, I'm sure, but he doesn't realize the crew is in the building like with a really cool for for a show with the production value that they add a really cool gunfight getting through the ship to get to mal and he's in a one-on-one tussle with the henchman the main henchman who was responsible for torturing him and zoe and the rest of the crew enters the room and she sees mal having this tussle and she delivers the line that you would expect her to deliver because it's in every other show of this type where something like that's happening they start to move in and she stops them and she goes no he's got to do this one himself and that's such a cliche it happens every time it's situation like this where you're like yeah the hero's gotta gotta rise and and defeat his own enemy and he's gotta do it because because that guy and it's all personal now and all this other shit and off camera i think the brilliance of this was off camera you hear nathan philly no he doesn't <laughs> she said
1: just so he's like oh well let's shoot the fuck out of him then <laughs> yeah and that was you know
0: i think any show that can make me laugh at ten thirty at night when i am at home by myself I will always have a soft spot in my heart for and of course I had laughed before up to this point at the show, but that I may have had to pause it to finish laughing. At that line. The timing was perfect. The delivery was perfect. The way it was filmed was perfect. And the show is full of those moments. This is not my favorite because it's the only one. It's just the one that was that hit me in just the right way because it was a surprise, honestly. And that's the best kind of stuff to me. Yeah. it was almost breaking the fourth wall by going, we're going to do this cliche. No, we're not.
1: I mean, it's subversion. It's the best kind of comedy. It's where comedy comes from.
0: Yes. And it's great when people have an understanding of that and still don't lose the drama of the show itself. Because it wasn't like there was winking at the camera with the characters, per se, because had that happened, then you wouldn't have given a shit. Because you're like, well, the show is acknowledging something. And sometimes I think that takes away from the believability of a situation or the stakes of a situation. But the show managed to skirt that beautiful line between taking itself seriously enough, but allowing the humor that was there to come out. Organically, Yeah. And I think that's a very difficult thing to do. Or it must be, because almost nobody does it. So I guess we can talk about the movie a little bit now. So if you are listening to this, don't do what I did and watch Serenity first.
1: No, 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 no. Because you will no. be a
0: little confused. Although, again, I didn't dislike it.
1: It's better when you have context.
0: Oh, it's so much better when you have context. And there are some big things that happen in the movie that affect the Firefly universe. Especially with the comics continuing to go on after the movie, which I I assume they did don't really know for one thing the movie finally gave us a lot more reaver action which i was looking forward to because they were always hinted at how bad they were and you never really got to see them in action right when they when you do see them in action it's appropriately horrifying and they are pretty scary but then the big thing that happens that everyone was shocked by and they had such balls to do it and in the way they did it they had such balls was washed eyes too soon (laughs) i know I know.
1: How long ago do you think it's been since you seen the movie? 13 or when whenever it came out? Yeah. Did you go to the theater to see it? Um, I don't remember.
0: Well, I recently saw an interview with Nathan Fillion where he was talking about that moment in the movie. And he did say that when he went to see the movie and knew that moment was coming, he pretended to drop popcorn on the floor and bent over to pick it up so he could turn around and see everyone's reactions. And go find that clip because it's really amusing him acting out people in the audience's reactions to Wash dying. Because the way it was played, it happened so quickly.
1: Yeah. Is brutal,
0: and they did that great thing of you know for a while there, like with a show like The Walking Dead, there was always kind of a formula to figure out who was gonna die because they would have their hero moment right before they died, yeah, or in an episode before they died, and you're like, oh well, that guy's gonna get it. They've kind of done away with that now, but that was exactly what happened in the movie. But you still never saw it coming because Wash gets them through this this awesome space battle, ships, Reavers, Alliance ships everywhere. He's piloting this rickety little thing through it, and he's doing an amazing job, and everybody's pinning their hopes on him, and he saves the entire crew with his piloting ability. Because that's the other thing is, he is a fucking damn good pilot. Oh, hell yeah. But even this, you know, you can tell he's nervous, and that's why Alan Tudyk does such a good job with the role. You could tell he's terrified that he's not going to get it done, but he gets it done, and then boom— fucking spear right through the heart and again they avoided the cliche of having him say die in zoe's arms and get to have a classic sort of i love you i love you too you know last words whatever he's just gone
1: hey hey evan yeah how do reavers clean their spears
0: i don't know carissa how do they
1: they run them through the wash oh hey (laughs) oh
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the way you deal with tragedy. Yes. Is to is to make a joke about it.
1: Because it's still seriously too soon. It's a very, (laughs) very hard scene to watch for me.
0: Yes. Well, it is. And and I was lucky in that. I guess I saw the movie so long ago, I didn't have enough attachment to the characters to care because I didn't remember him dying when I watched the movie after I finished the series. So I've now seen the movie twice and remember Wash dying once because I cared about him at this point. And it was pretty traumatic.
1: Part of that is because it's so fucking fast. Yes. I mean, that's why it is as brutal as it is, I think, is that there is there's no time because you're at that moment where he has gotten them through the blockade. He's on the ground. Everybody's safe. Yes. And that's that moment where you as an audience member are supposed to join in with the people in the movie in their sigh of relief. Yes. Okay, we're going to take a breather now and get ready for the next thing. There's and then there's no ready. Right. No one is ready. It It is a huge moment of vulnerability as an audience goer. And that they take advantage of that moment of vulnerability when you expect it's that subversion that is set up for comedy in some places and for absolute horrible tragedy here. You do not expect that at all, especially at that moment.
0: And that's why I think it's so brilliant. It is. And, and, you know, most of the time when you're writing the death of a major character, I think the formula is always they're going to die. So people are going to be pissed about that. So let's give them a good death or let's give them a great lead or let's let the audience know it's about to happen like because there's always that tension in in a lot of movies when a major character dies there's tension leading up to it so that you kind of see it coming you spend a lot of time going oh please don't oh please don't and then it happens but in that situation and i think it was the best way to do it i think it was such a smart way to do it is just there's no lead up there's no building tension there's no dying breath there's no moment in zoe's arms it's all just this happens and the beauty too was the danger still wasn't over right so he dies and they don't have time to mourn again credit to gina torres who is this tough on the outside soft on the inside character who genuinely loves the guy yeah and she doesn't even really have time to react because now she's got to get out and help save the rest of the crew and really finally expose the corruption That's been going on. That's actually created this problem. So obviously she has a moment of what the fuck. Oh my God. Love of my life is dead. And then she has to snap right back into survival mode.
1: Well kind of
0: kind of yes. But definitely she didn't get the scene that a lot of other actors would have gotten because the urgency was still palpable. It was there
1: in that moment. She became our proxy. Yes, because we also didn't get time to mourn. Right. So she got to be angry for us. Right. And we got to be angry with her as opposed to just having to sit there with that all by ourselves. (laughs) But
0: also, like, I think that's the definition of an actor playing a character as opposed to playing a moment. Yes. You know, a lot of people love to play moments. They want to cry in front of somebody or they want to scream so the people can see them act. But if you're really taking in the reality of the situation, the reality of your character and truly being the character, you might not get that opportunity. Yeah. And that's what real acting is. Because we've all, if you've ever acted, you want the scene where you get to cry. You want the scene where you get to fall apart. But that's just pyrotechnics. The real thing is portraying a character in a believable way, in a believable situation. And I never doubted for a second that Zoe was devastated. But I also knew that she didn't have time to sit there and go, oh, I'm devastated. And let me show you how.
1: She did show us how. She showed us how by getting fucking pissed and being suicidal.
0: <laughs> yes, but you know what I mean. She didn't get the, the moment that every actor thinks they want. Yeah. The Oscar moment
1: the weeping the gnashing their teeth and waving their fist at the sky
0: yes the every hugh jackman moment in x-men origins wolverine (laughs) and don't get me wrong i love hugh jackman but my god that movie had a lot of no in it
1: yeah the whole movie had a lot of no in it yeah
0: but overall i genuinely did like the movie obviously better the second time around yeah but it is, I mean, it was bittersweet. One thing that has made me hopeful about the future, have you heard of Con Man?
1: I'm a backer for Con Man. No way. Yeah.
0: Has it premiered yet?
1: Oh, God, yeah, last year.
0: Oh, it did? Where the fuck have I been? I have no idea. For anyone that doesn't know, are they doing a season two?
1: Uh, yes.
0: Awesome. Well, for anyone that doesn't know, what is Con Man?
1: Oh, uh, Con Man is a show that was put up on Indiegogo for crowdsourcing, or crowdfunding by alan tudyk and nathan villian it is about a guy who was on a well-loved but ultimately unsuccessful and prematurely canceled science fiction show Mm. and his co-star and best friend who the co-star and best friend went on to be this very famous incredibly rich really well-loved and well-known actor in Hollywood, and he himself, Alan Tudyk, did not, and instead has been spending the past like decade or so going from convention to convention. You know, talking about the one right. season of the one show that everybody knows him from. <laughs> right. It's you know semi-autobiographical. Yeah, just a
0: little. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm struggling to see where the parallels are.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's really reaching to find those parallels. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and they put it on, and it's it's good.
0: It's on Vimeo, correct? It's on
1: Vimeo, yes.
0: Which not that many people have heard of, or at least not many people that I know have heard of, but we've even got the web series that I co-write on Vimeo, and it's a great service. Yeah. I have not started watching Con Man yet, but I will very soon because there are so many other shows I'm trying to work my way through right now. I'm still three or four episodes away from the end of the first season of Jessica Jones, so I got to finish that. But I was so excited when I heard about that, because I love that sort of insider, tongue-in-cheek type thing. And again, you know, one of the reasons that I love podcasting, one of the reasons I love the web series is it is entertainment on your terms. And I think this is, from what I gather, and since you've seen it, you can tell me, this is like exactly the show that Alan Tudyk and Nathan Fillion wanted to make.
1: Oh, it's it's their show like that's they didn't have to answer to anyone. Right. And the people who were backing them who technically they have to answer to none of that was production credit. Like, right. No one who paid to get it funded gets any say in what they put in it. Right. We just trusted that we're going to pay you this because what we want is for you two to have a show. And we trust that you know what we want. Right. And they do. And they did. And it's amazing.
0: Well, then, see, if you have never heard of Firefly before, and if this episode gets you into Firefly and you start watching it like I did and get all the way through the series in a couple of days and then go, huh, well, you got a movie to watch. And then after that movie's over, you're kind of like, huh, well, guess what? You kind of have the same thing. You you kind of have at least some partial nods to Firefly and the chemistry of Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk again. You know, it's it's still going in a way. And there's a comic, so don't despair. Just support good science fiction television because there isn't enough of it.
1: There isn't much of it.
0: Yeah. So I think that's about all we could say about Firefly, Chris. Unless you've got anything else.
1: Oh, I mean, it's certainly not all we could say about Firefly now,
0: in an hour. <laughs> <That's all> we- <laughs>
1: Yes, it's about all we could say in an hour. Yeah. I would like to say that I am very disappointed that it took you this long to watch it.
0: Well, I was avoiding it purposefully, obviously.
1: Yeah, and that's disappointing.
0: No, it's not, because now uh, you're talking about it again with someone who you can go over the same points you've gone over a hundred times before with other people that has never heard your points before. <laughs>
1: I suppose.
0: There's a silver lining. But you out there, if you have anything you want to say to us about Firefly, our show, maybe even uh, some, what you feel might be an underappreciated sci-fi series, movie that didn't get its due whatever, Uh, why don't you write us and tell us about that? And, Carissa, how would they do that?
1: They could get in touch with us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com, all spelled out, lucky10,000 at gmail.com, or hit me up on Twitter at lucky underscore 10K.
0: Excellent. And as always, you can leave us a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes, well, and iTunes if you want to do both. If it's a five-star review, we will read whatever you say and just look forward to that. The best way you can help us out, though, is just word of mouth. People don't know about podcasts are becoming more and more popular every day, but there are a lot of people out there that still don't know about them or don't even know if they even enjoy them. So tell your friends. Tell some friends you think would like the show and tell them that if they like it, to pass it on to their friends. And we'll just be one huge pyramid scheme.
1: (laughs) Also, if you are particularly geeky about something or have a a particularly broad layman's knowledge of a particular topic, and no one wants to hear you talk about it anymore, (laughs) all your friends are tired of hearing you talk about it, but you still want to talk about it to somebody, let us know, because we would really like to let you talk about it. We want people to introduce us and our listeners to stuff that they're passionate about. It's not just what we know and like, because we don't know or like everything. So come tell us what you want to talk about. We will let you come on and talk about it and you can help us be lucky and part of the Lucky 10,000.
0: That would be fun. And for everybody else out there, I hope you got lucky
1: tonight. Good night, nerds.
0: Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan and Carissa. Email is at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at Lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com.